Hello and welcome to the Cocktail Hour with me, your host, Erin Folk. The Cocktail Hour is a place where we celebrate the women in business who are shaking shit up. This week we are talking about being super authentic despite the rumor the crowd you're in front of. This, well, tell, tell everybody who you are. Hi, my name's Yasmeen Simmons. And we are super excited that Yasmeen's here. So uh, just in case you've heard some of our podcasts, but maybe not the last one, we have omitted the part that we call the shake. The shake used to be uh, part of the podcast where we would bring up, I don't know, something uh, that's going on in um, somewhere with women in business. And all of our feedback from our listeners was like, we want to get to the good stuff. We want to get to your guests. So we are going straight into it these days. So I like it. Welcome. All right, so here's the thing. Let's tell people how we met, because I think this is my favorite story. You want to tell them? I'll tell them. Okay. So we're walking into an event, a uh, hemp event, and there's... Let's clarify hemp. Oh, yes, let me, I know, yes, let me, let's, let's clarify <laughs> that. It's the Hellsburg Mentoring Program yeah. event, and there is a huge block of ice, and I am walking in, I don't know, six-inch heels, and I look over, and I'm like, you know, you're trying to tiptoe because you don't want to fall, and so... I'm bracing. And, and I don't as, think we were ready for it because it was like beginning in November. It was beginning of November. And I was thinking that they would have the parking lot completely cleared. So yeah. I wasn't worried about it, you know. Yeah. But no, they weren't clear. And <laughs> so I'm, we're walking in and our, we're nicely dressed, of course. And I look over and I see this woman who is sort of tiptoeing too. And I look over at her and I say, well, you know, if you fall and I fall, we'll just both laugh. And so that was like our first couple of words to each other so from there we just kept talking and we're walking in and we're both looking because we're not really sure exactly where to go and come to find out we're going to the same event come to find out we're actually seated at the same table and actually seated next right next to each other other, and we've been friends ever since yes and i wanted to start with that story i'm going to read your bio to everybody but i wanted to start with that story because i found it really funny that we kind of already made a bond and a friendship before we even knew where we were headed right so i didn't want to give it away to people once i read your bio here so (laughs) so yasmin simmons is most known in the community for her work as a type 2 diabetes advocate speaking at local churches women's conventions and health fairs across the greater metro area her passion towards preventive care is electrifying. Yasmin has been involved in healthcare for over 15 years. I said 15, so when you see her picture, I promise you, I said it right. She does not look like she could have been in it that long. So, yes. And is one of the few licensed nurse practitioners nationally certified in non-surgical weight loss, leading multiple weight loss clinics throughout her career. As a licensed nurse practitioner, Yasmin has worked within large organizations, including the Kansas City Internal Medicine and Blue Valley Surgical Associates. In 2016, Yasmin was accepted in the Henry Block School of Management Institute for Entrepreneurship Program, where she ultimately walked away winning the pitch contest, competing against more than 50 competitors. As the founder of the Healthiest You pre-diabetes health specialist, she impacted many individuals, providing individuals with the tools and support to live a diabetes-free life. Yasmin earned her master's degree and undergraduate degree in the science of nursing from the University of Missouri, Kansas City. She holds certifications in certifications. I always mess all these words up because everybody's (laughs) is so much fancier than mine. So in non-surgical weight loss with the American Society for Metabolic. How do you say that word? Metabolic. Metabolic and (laughs) bariatric surgery, (laughs) as well as the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention as a Lifestyle Change Coach. When Yasmin is not working in the community, she enjoys singing, dancing, reading, and traveling with her husband and children. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And will you tell everybody what your current role is? My current role, I am serving as the executive director for Big Shifts Foundation, which is a nonprofit 
which is a nonprofit, and Dr. Robin yes. is the founder of that, and she's I've... been on our podcast before. Okay, yes. Who is a mentor of mine, and so we were going to sit at Dr. Robin's table yes. at this thing, and I will tell you, I've said to Dr. Robin before, I'm like, you just surround yourself with the best people. <laughs> and so I loved that we met in the parking lot. I and we have that. since become friends. Yes. I have been struggling with my weight a little bit. As we drink margaritas. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get into that part later. Uh, but you were very open in telling me some of your story and why you ended up in this in this situation. And just so our listeners know, I don't even know if you know this part, but I'm at risk for diabetes because I had diabetes while I was pregnant. Mm. So it raises your risk of having diabetes You're later right. in life. So it's something I have to get under control right now. And I've been very well aware of that. Not that I've been super active on it, but I'm well aware, which I believe is step one, right? It absolutely is. Okay. So I think that and congratulations that you know that that you realize <laughs> that because you have just gestational diabetes that that puts you at increased risk because yes. so many people don't even know that. So well, and I I was the whole gauntlet right. Yeah. So when I had it, so I had to do all the stuff. The hospital stays, so I don't want to get back there. You're not. Um, and I'm not going to, especially because you're my friend now. <laughs> yes. So I'm pretty excited about that. So let's start from the beginning. Um, grew up in Kansas City. Did I did I grew up in uh, I grew up all around Kansas City. Okay. I went to eight different high schools, just high school, Why? and I graduated on time. Why? Uh, and I was not an army brat. My mom just liked to move, and so we would typically be in one area for three to six months, and then we'd move on to the next, which is what gave me some of my strengths today. That I can always I was so used to being the new girl, always had to walk in and find the cliques that had friends and say, hey, you're going to be my friend too. And so that's kind of where I got that from. So I've lived all around Kansas City, Odessa, Missouri, Hutchinson, Kansas. Why was your mom moving so much? Oh, you know, she always had a vision of giving us a better life. And so stability wasn't a wasn't necessarily the most important thing to her. It was moving us to a better environment. Okay. So we were always moving to a better environment. But three to six months is... Wow. A fast thing, right? It is. It is. So were they? Were you going in family members, friends? All of that. All of that. All Just of finding that. somewhere. Yeah. Sometimes it was with family or friends. Sometimes it was, uh, you know, battered women's shelters. Sometimes it was oh, wow. homeless shelters. Sometimes it was another apartment. Sometimes it was a friend's house. So it just depends. So did the state ever step in? Did you ever do any foster care? Absolutely. Oh, you did? Yeah. So I had to do a little bit with that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because I was going to say you would think that many high schools. No, no. It's crazy. How many were you in your senior year? Senior year two. Two. And my home base was always Raytown South. Shout okay. out to Raytown South. Um, so that's where my core friends came from because yeah. my aunt lived in Raytown. Okay. And so every year at some point in the year, the state would take us away. We would go back with my aunt. So I went to Ray into I was in the Raytown School District from seventh grade to my senior year at some point every single year oh, from wow. seventh grade to Who's but us? never siblings oh yeah so there's six of us wow. there was six of us uh, my brother uh, committed suicide oh, 10 almost 10 years ago 10 years ago in September so we lost him and so there's five girls still living five girls mm -hmm. so you have five sisters mm -hmm. four sisters mm -hmm. Wow. And so would yeah. all you guys go to the same homes together? Or would you get be split up? Or? Sometimes both. Uh, well, my older sister left uh, and went to live with her dad when we were younger. So did you guys have different dads? We did. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the six you had shared a mom? Yes. Okay. And so my oldest, the oldest of my mother's children left when my littler sisters were one and two. So they never really knew her growing up. Okay. So growing up, 
for them was always us five. I do remember my older sister, but growing up for them was us five. So when it was moving around, it was all of us moving around. But when we went into foster homes, it was always my brother and I paired together and the twins and the uh, we used to call them the little girls went one place and my brother and I went one place. So we were very, very, very close. So would would this? Sorry, I don't know any. I know nothing about um, state care, right? Yeah. So when they do that, do they? Do you still have meetups with your other siblings, or how does that work? Well, it depends. For us, we were always very blessed that we were only in a foster home or a group home or whatever setting for just as long as it took my aunt to be able to come in and get us out. So we were, it would only, I mean, I say only, but the maximum time we would be in a foster or that system would be maybe three weeks. So no, there were no meetups. She would have to go through the process to get us. And then why would she lose you? Would your mom come back? So the number one goal of the court system of the family division services is reunification. Mm -hmm. It still is that way today. Mm -hmm. And so regardless of what the situation is, and you, I mean, you wouldn't know. We would, at some point, we stop having to go to court. And so things could be going really great at my aunt's house. And we could come back home from school and they would say, we hate to have to tell you guys this, but you guys are going back home with your mom today. Wow. Is it your mom's sister? Yes. Okay. What was their relationship like? Why tough. Was, why was your mom not... Okay, tell me what their relationship was like. So tough. Tough. Okay. Um, tough because of things that happened prior to that, and then mm-hmm. tough because of that relationship of her, you know, rescuing us. So your mom saw it more of a... She didn't see it as a blessing that oh, your aunt was no. there. She saw it more of a... Oh no, you're in my one business. Upping me in my yes, business. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Thing. You say in my business, I say one up. Yeah, there you go. So, same thing. <laughs> same thing. Yeah. She didn't see it as so. It was never an option to your mom when things got bad to go to your aunt. Oh no, the state had to step in. Oh, before. absolutely. And why are some of the reasons, if you're comfortable saying why, yeah. why would the state step in, or how did this? Here's what I always find interesting because I honestly, the only thing I have to do with the state being involved is I have spent. $20,000 plus keeping my son safe from an alcoholic father. Okay. But at this point, it hasn't come around at all. But it was. It was insane stuff that I was like, but he's not safe. And they're like, yeah, but we want him involved in his life, right? Like stuff that doesn't make sense. But then you hear these like horror stories on the news where you're like, why didn't the state step in, right? So I'm always interested in why and why the state, why does and why they don't step in in certain situations. So what were some of the, like what was going on that the state felt strong enough to step in but then not strong enough that they didn't step in for a long and come up with a long-term plan plan. well that's the tough thing so alcoholism my mother started drinking at the uh, her report is about eight years old oh my god and so so she was from a tough family well she was from she had tough things that happened in her life particularly um and so just raging alcoholic I mean um and so there would be times where she would stop drinking and then we would be able to come back but it always started again because the underlying issues that helped contribute to her drinking never went away Mm -hmm. and so then she would go back to drinking and so then drinking you know their drinking brought on rage Rage brought on anger and physical and verbal and emotional Mm -hmm. abuse. And so we went through that for a very long time without the state. 
stepping in. Um, but as it as as time went on, and it was harder for me to go to school, trying to take care of the kids when she was drunk, and so then missed days of school, along with, you know, physical signs of abuse. Finally, we were we began to be able to get some help. How did the help come? Did you guys reach out, or did school notice? School, school notice. Mm-hmm. Did your older sibling, when she left, did she just leave, or was she? They went through had to go through court and everything because you know it, the way it was in my household was the oldest is who how we would say the oldest is who got it you okay. took the brunt for everybody and so you sheltered everybody so when my older sister was in the house it was primarily her that dealt with the physical abuse and she shielded us mm-hmm. with her leaving then the next in line would then be me okay and so so what happened when it was time for you to leave well, what happened when it was time for me to leave was that I fought for everybody to leave. Okay. And so within a couple, within a year of me leaving, uh, all of my sisters and my brother also left. Oh, wow. And so that I actually I got I took custody of my sister when I was 18. I had custody of all of them. So my initial goal, you know, in my 18-year-old brain was that I was going to raise all of them. Nonetheless, that I had a child also. So You had I, a child at 18? I had a child at 17. Oh, wow. So now I'm 18, and I am trying to raise my three... How old was your mom when she had her first kid? Sorry oh, to interrupt. That's a good question. Those I would say my mom was probably mid-20s. Okay, so she wasn't mm-hmm. a, not okay. an early mom. Okay. I was wondering if that was no, okay. no. It contributed to me getting pregnant young. No, no. You know what? I used to love. I always hated to tell this piece of the story because I really did get pregnant intentionally. It was not an accident. I was so saddened and so tired of being hurt by people that I, I saw having a baby as my chance for n- someone to never hurt me again. For that like unconditional mm-hmm. love. Yep, for that wow. unconditional love. And so I thought that was going to fix all of my problems. And so I, when I start something, I get it done. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. I was on a mission to do that. And so I did that. Uh, but obviously the state said you're 18, and so I can't allow you. We, they wouldn't allow me to have my son and all my brothers and sisters. So that threw a wrench in my plan mm-hmm. because I never thought that was going to happen. But my aunt once again stepped in, and so my aunt took three and I took one. Okay. And so I, I'm actually the legal adopted mother of my sister, so I— I legally have seven children. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. And then, and then you and your aunt just worked together to make mm-hmm. sure everyone was yep. raised. Absolutely. But okay, I want to circle back around. So you graduated high school despite all that in the four-year time. Yes. And got into college with your grades from high school. I did. Well, I got into Longview. So College. I started out in at Longview. You uh, still graduated. You know how I many did. people I know that went to one high school with a good family support and. Didn't graduate? I know. That's pretty... Is that something you did intentionally? Was that a a getaway? Like, did you think at that young age? Because you're thinking through having a baby at 17, but are you thinking through, I have to graduate to get to the next step? Or what was the thought process? Yes. I mean, along the lines of everything, of all the other crazy stuff in my life, my older cousins who were, were in the house with me, we're going to college. At your aunt's house. At my aunt's house. Okay. We're going to college. And so college, I knew. College was 
college for me looked like my opportunity to one make my mom proud to uh change the sort of generational currency that was having in our we were having in our family our family we were so proud of the Gwens that was who we were and I was going to make the Gwen name a great name and so that for me college was that way to do that what okay it sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. I get it, but mm-hmm. it sounds crazy. But you say one of the reasons you wanted to do the high graduate high school was to make your mom proud. I know. I love my mom to death. Yeah. Even despite everything. Um, She's passed away now. She correct? is. Yes. Okay. And we're going to get through this with no tears. Okay. So, we're going to get uh, through this. <laughs> you don't need okay. Um, she has passed away. She so has passed I, away. I want you to talk as as much as comfortable as you are about it, but. This is way before she passed away, and going into it, you wanted to make her proud, even though on this end, she was causing a lot of hurt and a lot of extra stuff for you. Yeah. I felt like uh, because my mom had been molested, that they had stole that from her. Mm -hmm. So for me, like, I always wanted to give that back to her, you know, what they took from her. Do you think that's what the difference between your mom and your aunt was? Your mom went through some stuff your aunt didn't go through? Mm -hmm. Was your aunt older or younger? Younger. Younger. Yeah. So your mom took the brunt. Mm-hmm. So your aunt didn't do. She's not. You're not doing very good on the tears. I know. You okay? Are you okay? John's gonna. John's gonna grab you yeah, a tissue. You okay? Yeah. I don't know. It always chokes me up every single time. Just because I always. A lot of people never got to understand. They couldn't understand that. They. Why would you wanna? do all of these things to somebody who tried to suffocate you with a pillow and somebody who tried to drown you in a bathtub. Why do you still want to make them proud to the day she died? I did. And thank you. And it was because I, me and my mom would talk until the sun came up. Was there two sides? Was there the, the, there was the anger side, right? But then there was the loving, sweet, most kind person uh she was that person in my life though who always made me believe i could do anything wow anything so it made it reasonable to still love her and i could and everything she did i never thought it was okay and even with my sister when i got custody of my sister and the state said originally that i couldn't let her go around my mom and i said not on my watch. You will know her. Like I tell you, there's nobody like your mom. We People come broken, and broken people do terrible things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, for me, I just have an ability to see. I always had the ability to see through her brokenness to who she wanted to be, you know, despite that. After the, like, rage, after all of that, did she, was there... Remorse? Did she see what? Yeah, remorse. No. no, no. So she didn't see that. I thought surely, yeah. surely on this, you know, this death walk, right? That uh, that she was going. We were fine. My mom was angry at me for taking custody of my sisters and brothers. But understand, if I hadn't have taken them, she wasn't getting them. They were going to the state, and they would yeah. be in group homes. So I, you know, all my life, I wanted her to say. Thank you for being willing to sacrifice your life for my kids. Thank you for loving me no matter what. My mom would always say, I know if anybody loves me, you do. I know that. She knew that. But any accountability for what she'd done, you weren't getting it. Forgiveness truly. And and my mom taught me the art of forgiveness. And that uh, forgiveness is what you decide. 
separate of what, because if I was waiting on my mom to say, what I did to you was wrong. I am so sorry. I love you. That I would still be sitting here angry today. Okay, so I'm going to tell our listeners, this is something I haven't talked about at all on my podcast. I'm not going to get into details because I don't want this to be about me and I'm not ready to get into details. And you don't want two people in here crying. (laughs) Um, But I went through nothing like you went through. But I went through my very own major ordeal and being hurt very bad by my parents this Mm. past year. Um, What is... I think it's funny to me. And then I think like, okay, there really is a God type thing or there's somebody there that's our friendship has been based off a lot of this stuff that you've already learned Mm -hmm. that I almost need. I'm ready to I need to learn. Right. So when you say the forgiveness, how you referenced how you said, well, I always say forgiveness. It's because we've had that conversation quite a few times. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I'm in a place where I need to forgive my parents for me, mm-hmm. not for them. It doesn't mean we'll have a relationship or anything, but hearing this side of the story, because we've never gotten to really what your mom happened. Now, um, your mom was under your roof when she passed away. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Mm-hmm. So you had essentially been taking care of your mom towards, even towards the end. Yeah. I always had this vision for myself that, you know, we think about all the dreams that you had. I had a dream that I was going to have a house and in the back of my house were go- was going to be two living quarters, which was my husband's mom and family. Mm-hmm. Even before I had my, this husband, I just it was going to be just whoever's husband, yeah, whatever <laughs> husband. His parents were going to be in this house, and our parent, my mom, was going to be in in this house. So I always knew that I would take care of my mom eventually when she couldn't take care of herself. That I would, you know, then move her into this house and I would take care of her. I never in my life imagined it was going to happen at. 35, you yeah. know, I thought that was going to be when I was like 70 or something. I you can know. afford the extra house. Exactly. Exactly. So when my mom uh, was diagnosed with cancer, it, you know, it sped all of those things up. But I was determined to not put her in a nursing home and to take care of her myself. And so. Was there any question bringing her into the house where you have your children? No. Because she was too sick to really fly into yeah, so my mom, so my mom uh, stopped drinking 19 years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, my mom uh, came to the hospital when I had delivered my son when I was 17, okay. drunk. Oh. And she said, "I want to hold my grandson," and I thought, "Oh my God, if I say no, she's going to tear this hospital up, and that's going to be embarrassing." If I say yes. She's drunk and she's holding my child. Yeah. So I look over at my first husband and I'm like, just to kind of give him. Were you married at 17? No, he's we, we got married after that. Okay, so, my, so he was your first husband boy, yeah, eventually. Okay, uh-huh. I see what you're saying. And so I said, uh, I said, uh, I just gave him a look, and that look he knew was like, I'm gonna let her hold him, but be ready. And that right, wrong, or indifferent, that was what I did. So my mom held my uh, son. She came in with her husband. How many times was she married? Three. This man I never met. He introduced himself when he comes into my hospital room to say, uh, There's I'm, nothing more like that when you're laid up in the bed right, in the hospital. With, not only is it a random man, but then he's like, I'm her husband. I'm like, her who? Okay, I don't even have time for this. Yes. Just had a baby. <laughs> yes, just had a baby. And I'm, yeah, so... Anyway, we, I let her hold him. She looked him in his eyes that day, and she said, you will never see me drink in your life. So being a grandma is what changed her. And she never drank again. Was she a good grandma? She was a great grandma. 
She was a Were great. you ever mad? Like, why weren't you a good mom, but you're a great grandma? Or did you appreciate her for where she had gotten to? Um, I knew why she wasn't a good mom. She couldn't be something to me that she couldn't be to herself. Yeah. She was struggling as a person. So she could not give to me what she truly didn't have. She gave me everything she had to give. And that she was just deficient in all those other ways. How many different dads were there out of the six? Uh, oh, okay, let me think. Amina, me, Tony, and the girls, four. You would think that, uh, so I have two kids by two dads. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I do think it hurt me each time even more, right? Like, I love my kids, but every time you have a kid where it doesn't go like you saw it happening, because mm-hmm. I doubt at any point she said, oh, I just want to have a kid just a kid with this guy. You're Absolutely. probably the only person I know that's ever said that. Like, right. I want to have a kid. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to admit, you just want to have a kid. Yes. Um, you think it's going to go somewhere. This is going to turn out the life you, that you dreamed of. And it is hard. For me, it was hard when first time it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Then the second time I didn't go into it. Like it was an accidental pregnancy, but you know, the minute he came around, wanted to be part of my daughter's you life. Thought, I was like, Oh, well maybe we are going to have a family yeah. after all. Even though I didn't want that with him. I think you're we're yeah. just trained like that, and every so I wonder if every time it just even got harder for her, you know. Absolutely, I mean, I think she was a dreamer, mm-hmm. and even still, she would always put all of her dreams into somebody else's hands. Yeah, I think about times when we were doing really good, and we were doing, we were very stable. And a man would come into her life, and it was like she would give all of herself to him and then lose herself in him over and over. But these are just skills. How many women are in that same position where they lose themselves when they get with the partner? Now, maybe the way that she showed that was different, but it's something that many women struggle with the balance of continue to live in their true authenticity of who they are along with these uh, different roles that they have to play. And then I think, you know, society puts that on us that we have to, you know, I'm 37 years old and I'm a mom, so I have to go to these places and enjoy these things. And if I just want to sing and dance in the street, then I'm crazy. If I want to wear a half top, then I am. Well, I always laugh and I said, when I was 17, I couldn't wear half tops because I was too young. <laughs> yeah. When I was 20, they were telling me to put on clothes. Now I'm 37. They say, oh, you're too old. Well, when was I supposed to do it? <laughs> Are I you missed the boat. When, am I, when do I get to wear my half top? <laughs> okay, so you're 17. You have a child. You graduate high school, and you go to college. You get married. How do you balance? Speaking of balance, how do you not ever seeing somebody that was able to not really? I, I couldn't have balanced that. How do you balance that really having no, like, anyone to look at and see this is how they're doing it? How do you do it in general, I guess? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. I don't know how I learned that. I think my life never, it never looked like anybody else's. So it let me off the hook of having to live up to anybody's standards, but what felt good to me. And I knew that I felt great when I played with my son, Mm -hmm. uh, when I took him to different things, because my mom did that for me. That was our escape. So I knew I wanted to still have that escape for, for him. I knew I studied abroad. God put angels in my life all throughout my life. I can go back and I can account for one probably every year in my life. When I was 18, I was in the hallway at Longview and some random woman, don't even know who this woman is to this day, came up to me and said, have you thought about studying abroad? 
And I'm like, oh, no, I never thought about studying abroad. Now, I don't know that she knew that I took four years of Spanish in high school, but whatever the case, she says, oh, you should apply. I never even heard about the concept of studying abroad. Um, I said, well, there's no way I could pay for that. And she said, well, you applied. There's scholarships. So I applied. And I studied abroad, so I went and studied abroad in Oaxaca for a month and lived with the host family. Who and watched your child during that time? So my dad, who had been in and out of my life all of my life, kept my son oh, while wow. I went, which was an amazing experience for him, and it gave me my taste of travel. So I came back a changed woman in many ways. There is something about studying abroad in a small country. You bond and you learn and you appreciate. Is your dad a better grandpa than dad? We never really got a chance to really. My dad died. My what? Jamon was probably three, four when when my oh, dad wow. died of lung cancer. Oh wow! Yeah, I used to beg my dad. He was, my dad was a, a always in and out of my life, but when he was there, he was powerful. Good, yeah. I used to make up all these grand stories that he was. I used to just have to lie because lying was what kept me safe. You know, he was in the army, he was in the navy. I couldn't remember what he was in, but that's why he was. <laughs> And so, but he always gave me knowledge. He gave me my knowledge of saving. He, so he, whenever he came around, he always uh, gave me things, but he smoked. And I used to beg him not to smoke and beg him not to smoke. And so I never forget he was, it was those last few days when they're taking these deep breaths that are just, oh, you just can never, ag, it's called agonal breathing. But anyway, um, I went over to his bed and I said, you remember you told me that you had to die some way. That's what he would always say. Well, you got it. I'm going to die some way. And I said, is this the way you would have died? If you could do it all over, is this the way you would have died? And he didn't say anything. He just had this tear running down his face. I never forget. That was, you know, that was a moment. So that's why I never smoked. Though, so some of the every the stuff thing that, really, that happened in my... This is a lot earlier I, than other people. Yeah. So it's like... I just had all of these different lessons about living life. My dad worked his butt off, never really did anything for himself because he was waiting until he retired. He retired. He bought the truck of his dreams and within three months could no longer drive the truck, truck of his dreams and within six months had died. So I don't wait until I retire. I'm not waiting until, you know, so it's all these things in life that have taught me. How do you end up in diabetes, into diabetes? How do you end up in diabetes and not cancer at this point? I know, right? right? Oh, because, you know, the thing about, the thing that strikes me about type 2 diabetes particularly is that it's controllable and it's preventable 90% kind of, of like the time. like your dad's cancer was. Kind of like my dad's cancer. So diabetes intrigues me because it is so, little things that you can do are so powerful Yet so many people don't do anything about it. And it's because they can't see today what they're going to look like tomorrow. You know, I've sat with people and I what make what gets me about diabetes is that I'm seeing people younger and younger, 54 year old women who can't run after their kids and their grand. These, this isn't old. This yeah. is 54. Yeah. But their neuropathy is so bad that they can no longer work. So the that the age that it's impacting, the rapidness that it is impacting, and, and how little it's talked about, or as if it's kind of like, it's almost like it's not a big deal. Isn't it talked about less? I read an article, and I can't tell you where I read the article, but um, isn't it talked about even less in the African-American community? Well, I think in the African-American community, 
it's talked about, but it's like a thing. It's like, you know, I got, you know, oh, my blood sugars are high. Oh, you know, almost like a joke. Um, Unless I'm around. Because really quickly, I stop laughing. There's nothing like, funny not about yeah. that. You know, oh, yeah, I'm going to eat this two pieces of cake. And you know, my blood sugars are going to skyrocket. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's funny. How's dialysis in a couple of years? Let's see if you're laughing then. Yeah. You know, but then that, the room gets quiet and it's not funny. So it's talked about and then more it's awkward. a joke. And then mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember when you started being like, how old were you? So you've been doing 15 years mm-hmm. as a licensed nurse practitioner. When were you like, diabetes is the one that's fascinating me? How long into that journey? Oh, gosh, I was probably three or four years into it. I was working at the VA of all places. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was working with older veterans, actually. And they we would call them frequent flyers. They was kind of the same people that would come back over and over again. Well, I worked the night shift, and I like to talk. So, and veteran, you do a lot of, <laughs> and a lot of veterans don't sleep. So that works out perfect. I'll just go sit in their room, and I do diabetes education 2.0 because they're awake and they're listening, and it's, you know we can do it. But then we would talk, and they would share with me the things that they were trying to do, but they just weren't the right things, mm-hmm. or that their wives were trying really hard, and people within the healthcare system were looking at these individuals as if they weren't trying or they weren't making effort when they were, they just didn't know some of the things that they were doing were still just so damaging to them, Um, like unlimited bananas. I don't know. That is one of the things that for some reason in that population, like I'll just eat a bunch of bananas will cure anything because it's potassium, which not really, it's not, doesn't really have that much potassium. But so I've never heard that in my oh life. Oh gosh. Oh good. <laughs> All the time. Oh, I eat five bananas a day. So I'm getting the potassium, like eat spinach if you want potassium. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I do like bananas, you know, but so <laughs> I from, five bananas a day. That's, that's a how bananas. it's like overkill. So from there, I went into home health because I was really intrigued about going into somebody's house and helping them. Mm-hmm. It's a, just a different level of intimacy that comes when you're actually in somebody's home and the power that you have to really change things. So that's sort of how my journey, oh, well, that's really how it started in diabetes. Um, and then you end up at Big Shifts. And I want to talk about this only because um, Dr. Robin has one of our most listened to podcasts. Yeah. Your guys' pasts are very similar, right? Mm-hmm. How did you meet her and how did you end up there? And at what point were you like, again, this is where I was supposed to be crossing? Absolutely. So I was I did the pitch contest for the Rainier's Institute and I met one of um, Dr. Michelle's friends, Tammy. Tammy said she want we her and I should connect and so we finally connect and I really have a passion around the idea of uh, making generational change. That is just one, if we start one generation of change, that we can shift the whole. And so she said, I was telling her that. And she said, oh, my gosh, you need to meet Michelle. I said, okay. You know, I didn't know who Michelle was, Mm -hmm. but she was so excited about her. I said, okay, I'll meet her. And so I came and visited one of the uh, wellness consortiums where uh, Dr. Michelle Robin brings in wellness professionals from all over, all different levels of industries, and we just do different things together. Get to know each other. Get to know each other, network, um, but really more than that, develop a connection. And so that was amazing. And then her and I sat down for a one-on-one. And so that day we really shared in our connection um, about suicide and really raising the awareness of suicide and 
raising the uh, and changing this stigma that we can't What's this talk. What's after your brother? Mm-hmm. Passed away. Yeah, that we can't talk about anxiety and we can't talk about depression. So many women are struggling, women and men are struggling with anxiety and depression and go untreated and undertreated mm-hmm. because they don't want to talk about it. So we started talking about that and um, and just what what if we were really teaching, equipping people with the tools to really take care of themselves. And taking care of themselves actually includes taking care of their physical health, but also their mental health and their emotional mm-hmm. health. So then when it's a, it becomes a normalcy that mental health, emotional health, physical health are all things that we talk about. So that when something is off or not feeling right, you don't feel like you're the one singled out to talk about it. Because yeah. really, we should all be talking about that. So her and I engaged in that conversation and over the next course of the next four months, her and I just began spending more time together and really learning more about what was this vision that she had and what would what does she see for big shifts? And uh, when she talked to me about wanting to make generational change, when she talked to me about what would the world look like if we were teaching kids really what well-being looked like and using genetics also to mm-hmm. identify things that are triggers because Everything doesn't work for everybody, and there's things that we can know about ourselves through looking at our genetics to help put the odds in our favor. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I think that would be amazing. You know, I'm sure my mother struggled with anxiety and depression. And the and, and if but I, nobody was talking about it back then, right? Nobody, nobody was talking about it. Even when I think back to people having nervous breakdowns, you know, you say, oh, such and such. And my family, people say such and such had a nervous breakdown. But what was that really? Yeah. Was that a psychotic break? What was that? Well, you know, I still don't know what that was. Was it a those, panic attack? Was it a panic yeah, what attack? Was it? What was that? Because we didn't really talk about those things. Um, but so that excited me um, and, and, and frightened me all in the same <laughs> because working with, with children and young adults, I have I've always really, my passion has always been working with probably 45 and older. And so this was something that was different and challenging, but that I thought would be fun to go on that journey with her. At some point, did she, did you guys talk about your past and they line up because they line up a lot a lot of things line up right yeah a lot of things do a lot of so we talked we kind we talked about those things and then uh her and I had a I came in actually one day to shadow her and at this point I don't really know where things are what direction I just kept feeling a pull to to say yes. If she asked, say yes. That was what my direction was. And so we, her and I hung out. I'd spent the day there shadowing her. And I was getting ready to leave from shadowing her. At this point, that we'd had one, a couple one-on-ones and then multiple interactions in group settings. So I knew her, but I still didn't know her really well. And so I walked out of her office, and uh, God said to me very clearly, he said, I want you to go back in there and tell her that uh, I sent you to help her. And I'm thinking to myself, help her with what? I mean, what can I help her with? She seems to have things pretty well together. <laughs> to really together. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. And so I wasn't going to go back in because I'm literally saying this in my head. And it's go back in and tell her that you came to help her. So I did. I opened the door. I said, hey, can I tell you something really quick? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, God told me to tell you that he sent me to help you. And she turned around and she said, Okay. And I gave her a hug, and I left out. 
Now you got to go on the right side. Every time you I, I, I no no left. this is no every time this is what we do because yeah, I, I always go okay, yes, no because so she goes so she's she, one side yeah it's heart to heart but that is not instinctual for me so we usually oh, do that's this what it is I still yes. didn't know but yeah, I still always go the wrong way yeah it's I know it but it's still but not she's very my, steadfast yes oh yeah so yeah. it's usually this and then yeah. this and sometimes we almost kiss in between because I'm messing <laughs> it up I always yeah so it's always this thing so we do that. And then I leave and I'm not sure like what, because you know her face, you would never know what yeah. she thought about that. Does she think I'm crazy? Does she even believe in God? I don't know. But whatever, I did what you told me to do and I, I left it. And so about two weeks later, she asked me would I come in and talk with her, Tammy and Bill. Tammy and Bill work on the other for-profit side of her business, small changes, big shifts. Um, which is really awesome. And she said, I'd like for you to be the executive director of Big Shifts. And I said, okay, yes. Just yes. Yeah. And she was wow. like, well, but do you need to know, Martha? No. Yeah. I was like, I'm on assignment. Wow. And you've been there how long? I've been there for seven months, eight wow. months. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, I want to circle back around to one more thing. We're getting close on time. But you said when you were a little... You didn't know, because um, this is another reason why I think you came into my life, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably on assignment for me, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, you saw that you would have these corridors, and then one corridor would be your mom, and then the other corridor would be your husband's mm-hmm. mom, right? Mm-hmm. You still see that? Well, not my mom, because she's gone. Well, no, but with your husband's mom, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yes. you guys are close now, right? Yes. It's but there been was a journey. A time. A, there was a journey. Yes, it's been a journey, and I was just, I was, uh, Texting the uh, so you know I told you I had this test today and she first thing this morning texted me good luck on your test and I told her about this test like two months ago so oh, she's wow. one of those people who you just you don't have to talk to them every day you don't have to tell them everything yeah. but she just remembers and that means so much to me but it was a journey well and we've talked through this we've right so I this. just went we just went and got married pretty much on our own mm-hmm. because my parents. Mm-hmm. That relationship fell through. And then on top of that, I have a husband who's mom and sisters for a while. Well, we've we've rekindled with his mom, but not with his sisters yet. But it was kind yet. of just a yeah, I like yet. That. So she's been trying to teach me how to say yet. So I said it on purpose. <laughs> um, it, it's been tough, right? It's been tough. Yes. And it's, it's, it's really hard when you're the other female in a group of females mm-hmm. and there's family involved, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, probably I think on my breakdown day about that is when we had sat down to brunch mm-hmm. um which included mimosas which mm-hmm. included both of us opening up mm-hmm. and so you had been through your own little journey mm-hmm. per se and based off the stories that you shared with me and my situation um i do believe that there can be forgiveness yes. there right yeah. again it's going to be a journey you've exactly. been in it a, yeah. you've yeah. been dealing with it a lot longer yeah. than i have so we're working on that um that kind of brings me back to round two that was the second time we met, mm-hmm. and you were just very open and super authentic with mm-hmm. me, right? Mm-hmm. Is that just, how do you do that? Because no, I imagine, because I saw you in front of all the big wigs in Kansas City mm-hmm. when we were at the hemp lunch, and then I've seen you one-on-one with, with us, right? Or with me, or, and then in the studio. Is that just, are you just who you are at all times? And is there ever any, do you ever feel like maybe that was too much of me? Or how did you get to where you're just who you are all the time, and you take it or leave it? I think I was really literally like that from all my life. My name is Yasmin, and you always say it perfectly. My mom was I practiced, always... I though. I did you ask did. you. <laughs> you did. <laughs> but my mom, from a little age, from, a, from when I was a really little girl, she said, 
Yasmin, that's your name. It's Yasmin. They don't call you anything but Yasmin. You always be you. If you let anyone call you anything, you'll go for anything. So I'm always me. There are people who love me. There are people... There are times I'm a hugger, and I, there's times when I go in for a hug, and I hug that person who I know never hugs, and I'm like, that was a lot for you, wasn't it? And they're <laughs> like, yeah, and I'm like, well, I'm still glad I did it. Yeah, I am me. You know, there are people who will love me because of who I am. There are people who will hate me because of who I am, but I will still be me. Always in every room and in every space, and I, there is so much freedom in that. There is so much freedom, and I just truly believe that if a door isn't open because of who I am, it was not the door that God had for me. Another one will open. Wow. We're going to end on that because that was really good. All right. So thank you so much for going on. thank you. Thank you. That is it for this week's Cocktail Hour. Do you want to hear from your favorite local businesswoman? Do you know a woman in business who is shaking shit up? Send your recommendations to HeyGirl at CocktailHourPodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe and share our podcast with your friends. We share our stories to motivate and inspire you. So spread the love around. Until next time, I'm Erin Folk. Keep your class and your glass raised. We'll see you at the next Cocktail Hour. Thanks, Yasmin. Yay. (laughs) Cheers to that.